Well, good morning, Valley Real Life. How are you feeling this morning? Feeling all right? Yeah, good, 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 good. Hey, I uh, wanna wanna say welcome to those of you joining us here at Barker, as well as those of you joining us online today via podcast or whatever. Here's the deal: we understand that it is spring break, and so we also understand there's many people who are probably watching this uh, in their own time while they're you know in Mexico or whatever. So here we are. We're here. Uh, you're in Mexico. Have fun. Also, um, here's the thing. I want, to, uh, I want to address the elephant in the room today. I know that there's an elephant in the room. I want to go ahead and address it right now just so we're all on the same page and we're all moving forward together. Uh, so here's the deal. So Thursday night, um, I was here and I had to preach again on Thursday and so it's the first service of the weekend. And the Gonzaga game ran right up into, um, right up into service. And so I had a pastor on staff here. He'll remain nameless. He came up to me and he said, hey, why don't we do this? If the game's not over by the time service starts, let's go ahead and let's actually pause service for a minute and let's watch the rest of the game. I'm sure no one will mind. No one will care. We'll watch the end of the game and then we'll gather together. We'll have church. I promise we'll have church. It can go as long as we need it to go, but we have to be able to watch the end of the Gonzaga game. And I said, well, Brad... His name or remain nameless. Uh, I said, Brad, here's the problem with that. I said, the problem with that is we're in this series called Rooted. And, and the premise behind this week's message for Rooted is that we are saying why the church is important. Like that's what we're talking about today is why is the church important? And so for us to be able to talk about that, but to say, hey, we're going to talk about it. But after this Gonzaga game that seems to be more important than this, it just didn't seem to sit, sit well with us. And so it turned out that Gonzaga ended up winning and, and it won before service started. And so all was fine and dandy. Until last night. Yeah. <laughs> Saw a lot of people today walking in in all black, sunglasses, tears still rolling down your face. I get it. If you DVR'd the game and have not seen the outcome yet, let me just go ahead and spoil it for everyone. They lost last night. They lost last night. But, but not just did they lose last night. Uh, my in-laws are in town. My in-laws are from Missouri or misery, depending upon how you define it. And so they're in town with me yesterday, and I made sure to let them know, hey, here's the deal. I want to be able to watch the game with you. I want to be able to watch the game with you, with you, but it doesn't matter. I want to be able to watch the game. And so the, we got done with the things we were doing yesterday. We ran into Paul Crooks, like, everywhere we went yesterday. So anyway, there's Paul. And so uh, we, we got done with all of our errands, everything we were doing, and we finally arrived home to catch the Gonzaga game. And I turn it on, and I'm watching this thing happen, and my mother-in-law, she's got no dog in the fight, okay? No dog in the fight. Again, she's from Missouri. Her team did not even make the tournament because Missouri's terrible. And and so uh, she's watching with me. And throughout the entire game, she's like, looks like they might lose this game, Ryan. Like, they're down. This doesn't look good for you. This doesn't look good for your team. And the whole time, she's just kind of saying things that she doesn't realize. These are fighting words coming out of her mouth. <laughs> well, the game gets over. Gonzaga loses. And I turn the TV off of that, and I turn it to the Cubs game because I'm a Major League Baseball fan. I love my Chicago Cubs. Any Major League Baseball fans in the house? Okay, a few of you. <laughs> It's all right. Here's the deal. You got 162 more games before you have to care, all right? Um, and actually, Mariners fans, you need to care right now because this is the best your team's going to look all year. And so anyway, anyway, uh, I turn it over from the, from the Gonzaga game, and I turn it on to the Cubs game, and my mother-in-law says these words to me. No joke, says these words to me. Ryan, you think this team's going to lose too? So she's at Otis today. We haven't spoken since. I said, why don't you go to Otis? And so she did. And they're over there. I hope they're having a blast at Otis. Uh, so there's that. But we're coming back. And let's come back to why is the church important? Why is the church important? I need you to know this right up front. I loved the church long before I fell in love with Jesus. 
For me, church was me growing up in North Platte, Nebraska. I grew up in this little church called Valley Christian Church. And the first time we walked in there, I found true friends. I found real acceptance. I found real love. I found people who, who actually would give me the time of day. And so it became this moment where I thought to myself, if this is what these guys have, this Jesus character, if that's what these guys have, that's what makes them different from everything else I've ever known or experienced. I want exactly what they want. And so I fell in love with the church long before I fell in love with Jesus. And, and since then, I have since fallen in love with Jesus. And some of you are like, good, you're a pastor. You probably should. But here's the church, okay? Let's just come back to what the church is. The church is not a place. And so if you think of church as Valley Real Life within these walls right here, within the walls at Otis, if that's what you think church is, you are wrongly mistaken. See, the great theologian who once said this, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, here's all the people. That great theologian was actually kind of wrong, okay? Because the church is not this. The church is this. The church is this body of believers. The church is who we are. It's not where we go, but it's who we are. And so today what I want to do is I want to unpack for us just three things that makes the church important. Three things that make the church important. Number one is this, that we might bring praise to God. The reason that we go to church, the reason that church is important to us is that we might bring praise to God. And here, we just did that here not that long ago. We just spent about 15 minutes bringing praise to God. And can I just ask in this room, who is thankful and grateful for our worship team? Don't they do just a phenomenal, yeah! phenomenal job? And it's one thing that they're incredible musicians. It's one thing that they're incredible vocalists. It's one thing for all of that. But if you actually get an opportunity to speak with some of them, talk with some of them, do life with some of them, what you'll find is they are incredible people. As great as they are you know, playing an instrument, as great as they are singing, they are even greater people. They have a heart for Jesus, and I love the opportunity that we have to, to have them here with us. They do such a phenomenal job. In fact, next week, we're going to be in a series called Worship Matters. Worship Matters, an incredible series, brand new series. Next week, a two-week series. And I want to let the cat out of the bag a little bit for you today. Next week, you do not want to miss because Eric Svensson, our worship pastor who plays right here, he's actually preaching next week. You excited about that? Oh, yeah. He is scared to death. He really is. He really is. But, but here's the thing. When you get a chance to talk to him about why worship matters to him, why worship is important to him, what you'll find is that when this guy begins to pour out his heart and share about that, it is going to be an incredible, incredible weekend that you do not want to miss. The other reason you don't want to miss that is not just because Eric's preaching. I'm actually leading worship next week. That didn't get the same applause. We're going to sing Itsy Bitsy Spider, sing Go Cubs. It's going to be a great week. It's going to be a great week. But because Eric is preaching next week, I don't want to steal so much of his thunder. So let's come back to why we bring praise to God. That it's a concert for you. It's not a concert for you and I. It's a concert for God. That we're worshiping God, it changes things. It changes our perspective. In fact, the psalmist said this in Psalm 34, verse 3. said, come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Another translation says this, magnify the Lord. Let me ask you a question today. What are you magnifying? What is it that you're magnifying today? Because as I magnify the name of Jesus, his presence grows bigger in my life. What are you magnifying? Are you magnifying the problem or are you magnifying the solution? Let me take it a step further and maybe step on some toes today. When you get ready to attend church services, when you get ready to attend church services, what's your mindset as you get ready? Are you just like, you know what, let's just get in the car and let's go? 
Or are you actually praying to God on your way here before you even step into the auditorium, before you step into the doors of our facility, before you drive onto our property, are you actually asking God, God, would you speak to me today? God, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm available, I'm willing, I'm a consumer. God, I know you're gonna speak today, so allow me to hear your words. For some of you, if you came in today and that's not what you prayed before you walked in here today, I'm just gonna ask that you stop right now and just say, God, would you speak to me today? Would you take the time right now to simply say, God, would you speak to me right here where I'm at in this place? Maybe you're on spring break and you're watching this on a treadmill later. Maybe you need to hit pause on that treadmill and simply say, God, would you speak to me? Are you coming as a consumer to say, God, I'm here, I'm willing, I'm ready? Are you also coming as a contributor to say, God, would you show me people that I need to serve? Would you show me people that I need to come in contact with? God, would you show me people that I need to encounter? Would you show me people that I can get in relationship with? You're coming as a consumer and as a contributor, that you're magnifying his name, that you're bringing praise to him by looking and saying, God, you got something to say to me today. Allow me to hear it. So this is the mindset of the first church. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. See, one of the things that I love about what we do every single week, every single time we gather together is that we take this time of communion where we take a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice, and for some of us, it might be the only time in that week that we stop and ponder and magnify Jesus for who he is and what he's done in and through and for us. See, one of the biggest drawbacks that we hear about church is this, and maybe you've said this, maybe you've heard this. Church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, Anybody ever heard that or said that? Anybody by show of hands? Anybody ever heard that, said that? Okay. We aren't going to differentiate who's said and who's heard. Okay. We're not going to do that to you today. But you know what I say when people tell me that? They say, hey, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. You know what I tell them? I say, are you just figuring this out? Because we are. We are a bunch of hypocrites. See, we, we are a group of people, usually, who tend to say one thing and do another. And then I add this on there. That's why I go to church. Because I'm in need of a savior, just like you're in need of a savior. Anybody in this room, anybody thankful that you serve a God who's not a hypocrite? Anybody in this room thankful that you serve a God who came and saved you and has always lived out what he says in and through and for you? Anybody thankful for that? See, that's why we worship him. That's why we bring him praise. Don't want to steal too much of Eric's thunder. That's next week. I could go on. Number two, the reason church is important is to bring praise to God, but number two, to be disciples, to be disciples. Now, if you're here longer than about a week, you know that that's some lingo and some language that we say often around here, that we want to be disciples. In fact, Matthew chapter four, verse 19, Jesus says this, Jesus says, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. What Jesus was saying to these fishermen is, come follow me and I'll make you something you're not. Come follow me and I'll change you from the inside out. Come follow me and I will make you a disciple. See, God's highest calling for us isn't that we might go to a destination. That's not his highest calling for us. His highest calling for us isn't that we might just go to church, but rather to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why the psalmist says this in Psalm 92, 12. But the godly, check that word, underline that word, circle that word, do whatever you gotta do to understand that word. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong. Hit pause for a second. Let's talk about this. What does this word flourish mean? See, if you were to come up to me and say, hey, Ryan, how you doing today? You know what the last words I would say to you are? Man, I am flourishing today. 
right? Not the words that would come out of my mouth today. In fact, try this, okay? Little action step for you right now. You can try this tomorrow. Go to the gym tomorrow morning, okay? Action step number one, go to the gym. So look at that. Already making your life better. Go to the gym. When you arrive at the gym tomorrow, I'd like you to find the person who's lifting the most weights. Male, female, doesn't matter. Find the person lifting the most weights. When they get done doing their bench press, when they get done doing whatever it is that they're doing, walk over to them and say, hey, man, hey, lady, you are flourishing today. <laughs> Watch what happens. You'll probably get punched in the face with a 45-pound plate. Anyway, there's that. Here's what flourishing means. Flourishing means thriving. Amen. It means growing. It means being a blessing. It means having spiritual growth that you and I, that we're literally, when we're godly, that's what the Bible said, when we're godly, when we're planted, when we're rooted, we are prospering. And the Bible says, who will flourish? It doesn't say those who just attend church. It says those who are godly, those who are rooted, those who are planted. Scripture does not say those who sit in a seat on a regular basis. That's not it at all. But those who are gathered, those who are striving to be disciples, those who are following Jesus, when Jesus said, come, follow me, he meant it. And so many of us, we're not following him the way that he's called us to. Instead of using the word flourishing, you might say this. You might say, you know what, Ryan? I'm really kind of spiritually dry. I'm not flourishing. Instead of saying I'm thriving emotionally, you might say, I'm, I'm kind of emotionally withering. Instead of saying I'm connected relationally in small group and loving the time that I've got relationally with others, you might say, I'm relationally broken. Instead of saying, I'm prospering financially, you might say, you know what? I'm kind of flat out broke. Instead of saying, I'm fulfilled spiritually, making a difference, full of joy, so many might say that I'm still searching or reaching or longing for or hoping for that buzz, that something, that relationship, that job, that hole that's inside of me that I can't seem to fill on my own. I go to church, but I'm not flourishing. The Bible says, those who are planted those who are rooted, those who are godly, those who are striving to follow Jesus will flourish. We need to recognize, you and I both need to recognize that we are a seed. And that seed has tremendous potential to grow and to thrive and to multiply and to produce fruit and to be a blessing to others. But a seed that's not planted has a tendency to lie dormant, unproductive, unfruitful, and dissatisfied. Let me tell you why this is so important. In fact, the Bible actually explains it for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says this, let us think of ways that we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but rather encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's what scripture's saying. Scripture is saying this, you and I, we need to be rooted, we need to be godly, and we need to be striving after what God has in store for us, and we need to have relationship with other people who will encourage us as we're on this journey together. We need to have people who come alongside us and encourage us to, to spur us on and say, let's not stop meeting together because being together matters. We need to be together. We need to encourage one another to strive, to be planted, to be rooted in the following of who Jesus is and what Jesus has called us to be. I've lived this out so much in my own life just in the last 18 months. I've had this question working in my head, and maybe you can work this in your head as well. Am I an encourager or am I a discourager? See, followers of Jesus, it's so important for us to read this piece of scripture from Hebrews chapter 10 and realize and recognize the power of our words and the power of our, our encouragement that can build each other up to spur us on to do, good to do good deeds and to love one another. The encouragement of that will take people to their next level. This played out so true in my life this past week. This past week, I was in a conversation with somebody. And the conversation wasn't going great, and it just continued to spiral out of control a little bit. And I began to allow my emotions to take place in the midst of this conversation to the point that I began saying words that were very discouraging. 
And words just could continue to come out of my mouth. And I was going, man, I'm not discouraged in this conversation, but all that's coming out of my mouth is just discouragement after discouragement after discouragement. And then the conversation kind of ended there. We didn't really resolve the conversation. The conversation just kind of ended there. And I said, all right, you've you got to go to a meeting. I've got to go to this thing. And so I went and I did my own thing. And here's what I went and did. It was here at the office, and I went downstairs. I went to one of the kids' rooms. It was, it was a day where the kids' rooms were open, so I was able to go into the kids' room. And I opened up my Bible to, to continue to work on my message I was working on. And I opened up my Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. I'll read it to you right again, just what we just read. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. Well, poop. Here I was being incredibly discouraging to this coworker, this friend, this person that I love very much. And don't you love it when God just begins to speak to you through his word 2,000 years ago and you're like, well, I got to go resolve that. And so I shut my Bible, came back upstairs. This person was in a meeting. And so I waited for this person to get done with the meeting. And as I was waiting for this person, I just kept praying, God, would you give me grace and mercy and love? Because that's all I want, grace and love and mercy. That's all I want to give. That's all I want to extend. I don't want to explain anything. I just want to give grace and love and mercy. And this person came out of the meeting. And I gave this person a hug. And I told this person how much I loved them and cared for them. And I asked for forgiveness. See, it's so important for us to realize and recognize the power of encouragement that we might have in another person's life. The power of encouragement that others might have in our life. That is why the church is important. That as we are rooted, as we are godly, as we are finding out how to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to have people who come alongside us because being together matters. It happens so often in my life on a Monday night. I have a small group, community group on Monday night. And a lot of times on Monday, it's just a long day for me, a lot of meetings and different things like that. And so I'll get home, and I just want to put my feet up. That's all I want to do. I, I don't want to go to small group that night. I just want to just be transparent with you. I just want to put my feet up and sit at home because it might be the only night that I get to be at home that night or that week. And so it's like, man, can we, just, can we just stay home and have a family night? And so oftentimes I'll ask my wife that. I'll say, Blair, can we just stay home? The kids are a mess. The kids are a wreck. They need baths, all this stuff. Can we just stay home tonight? And my wife will look back at me and she'll say, well, Ryan, you're the leader. So, I mean, we can, but... They're not going to have a smart group tonight. But don't we do that often? We, we oftentimes do that where after a long day or after the busyness of a work week or whatever, we just begin making excuses as to why we don't need to be together. Making excuses as to why we don't need to come together to have community with one another. Why we don't need to go to men's group or women's group or small group or Bible study or wherever it might be that we find ourselves involved in. That we can make excuse after excuse after excuse as to why being together, yes, it does matter, but just not in my life. So the question I would ask you is, are you flourishing? Or is your faith kind of wavering? See, if your faith is wavering, I would say this. If, you're, if your faith is stagnant, if it's dry, if you're emotionally or spiritually or relationally broken right now, I would say this. There's an absence of one of two things. Absence of obedience to God's word or encouragement of God's people. Well, let me give you two scenarios of this. Scenario, person number A and, and person B, all right? Person A goes to church. Person A comes in for the first time. Here's a song that they've connected with. Here's a message they connected with. They find out that they're far from Jesus and they need Jesus in their life. And so they decide, you know what? I'm going to make Jesus part of my life. And they get baptized. And then they come back the next week. And they come back the week after that. And they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. The problem is, is that as they keep coming, they never really actually connect with anybody else. They just come and they sit. And before you know it, what happens is they start to, to withdraw from the community of people because they never got involved with the community of people. They just come and they sing a little bit and they, they stand when they need to stand and they take communion as it goes. But the moment service is out, they take off out these doors and they get in their car and they drive off and they have no connection outside of the next Sunday that they attend. 
Before long, what happens is, is they just stop coming. Or maybe they just come on the big ones, Easter and Christmas. Person B. Person B, same scenario. Comes and hears a song, comes and hears a message, decides to put their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ, gets baptized. And then instead of not connecting, what person B does is says, you know what? I've heard that being together matters. I keep hearing that over and over and over again. So I'm going to join a small group or community group. I'm going to join a men's group or a women's group. I'm going to join a group and I'm going to get involved with people. And then those people start praying for this person, and this person starts praying for those people. And before you know it, there's some community that's taking place. Before you know it, there's conversations taking place. Before you know it, this person's at this person's ball game, and they're having a blast together. And as life continues to happen, they find out they've got gifts they can use. And before long, they start serving in Kidmen, or they start serving operating a camera back there, or they start doing something to use the gifts that God has given them, and they start serving God with the gifts that God's given them. And before long, it's not just about some building they attend. It's not just some seat they sit in. It's an identity that they begin to embrace. And so my hope is for us in this room, that all of us in this room could say this, that while we have not yet arrived, we need to move closer and closer to find out and understand who Jesus has called us to be. Because I don't think any single person in this room could say, you know what, I'm exactly where I want to be spiritually. I think there's room for growth for all of us. And so how can we lean in more and more and more to what God has called us to? And maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, Ryan, here's the deal. I'd love to lean in more and more and more to what God has in store for me, but this church, I've tried it a couple times, and this church just isn't for me. Let me say this. That's okay. We've got a great relationship with a lot of churches around here we'd love to point you in the direction of. You might say, you know what, Ryan, I need a church with Sunday school because you don't offer Sunday school or any church like that. So here's the deal. We have churches that we are in great relationship with that have Sunday school. We would love to send you there and say, hey, go and and follow Jesus there. Go. You might say, well, Ryan, I, I like worship just a little bit different than we do worship here. That's fine. That's okay. We can have preferences. And so if you say that, we say, hey, tell us what you need or tell us what you'd like and we'll, we'll find a church like that. You might say, hey, Ryan, you know what? I need a church where there's a pastor who's got some hair on his head. <laughs> Eric's preaching next week. Come back next week, right? You might say, well, Ryan, I need, I need a perfect church. Let me say this. No church is perfect. No church is perfect. In fact, if you find a church that's perfect, don't join it. You'll screw it up. <laughs> And you might say, well, Ryan, I've tried. I've tried to get plugged in here. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do this. It takes time, okay? And in fact, it it takes five things to get rooted. It takes five things for a tree to grow. It takes time. It takes soil. It takes light. It takes water. It takes temperature. That's what it takes. It takes soil, good soil, much like our hearts. It takes a good heart to grow, to flourish. It takes light. The word of God is the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It takes water. Jesus is the living water who washes and renews your soul. It takes temperature. The fire of the Holy Spirit warms the seed that is planted in your heart. And it takes time. It takes time to get rooted. It takes time to get planted. Anybody know when the best time to plant a tree is? 20 years ago. You know when the next best time is? Right now. You know when the best time to get planted in in the house of God is? 20 years ago. You know what the next best time is? Now. That we might be disciples. Who, number three, then make disciples. We might be disciples who then make disciples. See, the church is not just about us. The church is about us going into the world. 
that we might be the church at our schools, that we might be the church in our neighborhoods, that we might be the church in the work environments God has placed us in. I love how Jesus defines the church. He said, I'll build my house, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. I love the idea that Jesus is giving us right here, that that he's saying, I want you to be as progressive and aggressive as you can possibly be, that we're literally rescuing people from hell. I heard a story this past week about a dentist. He was taking this trip. He was going to Grenada, Spain. Lifetime trip. He saved up all of his money to go to Grenada, Spain. He wanted to go to Grenada, Spain so, so bad. And he got everything ready. He got the, the flights booked, and he got the, plane, or the trains booked, and the, the reservations for the hotel. He got everything done, all the tours he's going to go on. He was ready to go. And he gets on his plane, and he flies from, from you know, the America all over, and he lands in London. And he's surprised when he gets this layover in London, and he gets on a plane, and he flies back over the Atlantic again. He's like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, they say, you've landed at your destination. Not Grenada in Spain, but Granada in the Caribbean. Wow. One letter. That's the miscommunication of one letter. Grenada to Granada. And unfortunately, the same thing can happen in the church. See, as a church, we're constantly moving forward. As a church, we're constantly headed in the right direction, in a direction that we might show others who Jesus is. In fact, in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear says this, that if an airplane on the West Coast is off by three inches when it takes off, the nose of the airplane, if it's off by three inches on the West Coast, it's the difference between landing in New York City or Washington, D.C., We have a destination as a church. As followers of Jesus, he's given us clear destination that we might point ourselves in the direction and say, God, would we continue to follow after you in the direction you've called us to, to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. See, I have a vision for my own life, and I hope it's yours as well. The vision for my life is that I might look more and more and more like Jesus every single day. And I have a desire in my heart for for this church That people in our neighborhoods and people in our schools and people in the Spokane area might say this about our church. People who are far from Jesus might say, you know what? That's a place where families go to get better. I would hope that they would say that about us. I hope that they would say, that's a place where people understand their mission. That's a place where people understand what they're about. That's a place where, you know what? I don't know what all is going to happen inside that place. I don't really get it. I don't really fully understand it. But that's where you'll find some true friends. See, one of the things I hope people really say about us, and kind of as a warning, is this. You know, I don't know what's going to happen for you there. I know your family's probably going to get better. I know that addiction is probably going to go away. I know that that's going to be solved, potentially. I know you're going to make some great friends. I know your kids are going to love it. I know your students are going to love it. I I get all of that. If, if, if you're okay hearing about the name of Jesus nonstop. That that would be our reputation. That we aren't quiet about Jesus because Jesus changes lives. See, I'm so thankful for this faith community. I'm so thankful for the people who call Valley River Life home. It's been a privilege of mine for the last seven years to be a pastor at this church, to wake up every morning, to give myself to something that I love so much. I love what God is doing here. I love the way that he's moving in people's lives. I love that we're about second chances. I love that we're a relational church. I love that we don't stand over people in judgment, but rather we extend grace and love and mercy with a hand out. I love that we take God's word seriously. I love that we lift the name of Jesus high and we hold it high. I love our vision to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And that's the filter by which we do everything around here. We ask the question, does that help someone find Jesus? No, then we're not gonna do that. See, what happens a lot of times in churches, though, 
is we can automatically go that one letter difference and get all focused on here. God brought me here. God placed these people here. God led me here. And now we're here. And God brought me out of darkness and out of sin and out of shame. And he forgave me. And he gave me a fresh start and a new start. And a lot of churches, if we're not careful, we can start to focus our energy and our effort and our resources all on those that are already here, taking care of those that are here, loving those that are here, keeping those that are here, serving those that are here. And don't get me wrong. That's all important. But if you study scripture, what you'll find is that the eyes of God, the heartbeat of God, the heart of God, the vision of God, the passion of God longs for those not just who are here, but those that are there. One letter, here versus there, one letter changes the destination. That as you study scripture, you'll find that God is reaching out and pouring out and crying out and saying, there are still so many people who are far from God. There's still so many people who are hurting, so many people who haven't yet experienced the same kind of grace and love and mercy that many of us in this room have. You change one letter and you end up in Grenada instead of Granada. You change one letter in the church and you're all about those who are here and you forget about God's greatest mission, those that are there. And we end up at a totally different destination. See, we want to be a church that cares about those who are inside these walls. Don't mishear me. We want to be about that. But more than that, we want to be about Jesus' primary mission for those who are out there. And it's easy for us, right, to look around and say, man, look what God's done. I mean, the fact that we have to tell you to not come to this service or the 930 service, not on spring break weeks because we get too full or too crowded in here. The fact that we have to offer donuts at 8 o'clock to get you to go to 8 o'clock because it's just crazy in here at 11 o'clock or 9.30. It's easy for us to look around and see lives being changed. It's easy for us to watch a baptism video. Hear this, okay? Just pause real quick. We baptized 14 middle and high school students Wednesday and Thursday this week. 14! I was at a church for six years. We might have baptized 14 people total. Isn't it amazing what God's doing here? God's working here. And it'd be easy for us to get complacent and content and say, man, we've done such a good job. But what I believe God is saying is this. He's looking at the streets of our city. He's looking at our country. He's looking at the hurt and the heartache of those that are around us in the neighborhoods and all of our campuses, all of our locations, all of the neighborhoods that we live in. And he's saying, what about these people out there? Because as you study scripture, what you'll find is that the, the gospel, the story of Jesus, is for everybody. It's not just for the people in this room. It's for everybody. Everybody's invited. Everybody gets in the same way. Everybody meets the requirements. Everyone's invited, which means we need to create space and place for other people to come and enjoy and understand and have a saving grace and knowledge of who Jesus is and what he can do in us. It's for the person who has questions about the Bible. It's for the person who's had a bad church experience. It's for the person who doesn't know how to act, doesn't know how to dress. That we might create a space and a place for every single person because the gospel, the story of Jesus, is for everybody. It's why we do what we do on Easter. When we say, hey, we want to give you resources with little invite cards that you might go to your neighborhood, you might go to your schools, you might go to the workplace that you have, you might go where God has placed you, and you might invite somebody. Now let me say this, somebody because so often what you hear is we'll say, hey, why don't you invite some people? And you go, I don't want to invite everybody I know. That's not what we're saying. Reach the world for Jesus one person at a time is our mission, okay? One person at a time. So who's that one person? Who's that one person that you can invite? 
Who's the one person this Easter, we're a couple weeks away from Easter, who's the one person you can say, hey, I'd love for you to join me. I'd love for you to join me. Maybe your family can come. We've got Easter egg hunts. We'd love for you to be here. Let's do this, okay? I'm just going to ask you. We're going to be bold. If you're at Valley of Your Life today, because at some point along the line, and here's the thing, not just at Valley of Your Life today, let's also talk to those of you on a treadmill right now at Planet Fitness, okay? You might be watching this later. If you're at Valley of Your Life today, right? VRL, you call yourself a follower of Jesus here because somebody invited you to VRL at some point along the way. Would you stand up? I just want to show you the power of invitation. Somebody invited you and you came. Look at that. That's the power of invitation right there. You can stay standing. You can stay standing because we're going to play a quick game real quick. If you were baptized at Valley Real Life, would you stand? Stay, stay standing. Those of you that were standing, stay standing. If you were baptized at Valley Real Life, would you stand? If your marriage was restored through the ministry of Valley Real Life, would you stand up? If you've experienced hope and encouragement at Valley Real Life, would you stand up? If you got help overcoming an addiction, would you stand up? Amen. If God has poured out hope in your life, encouragement in your life through the people of Valley Real Life, would you stand up? If you found acceptance at VRL, would you stand up? If God has become real to you at VRL, would you stand up? If what you've experienced at VRL, you want to share with other people, would you stand up? If your student or your child has experienced Jesus here, would you stand up? If you're ready to take the gospel out into a broken world that needs Jesus, would you stand up? Look around. Look around. This is why I love the church. This is what we're about. This is what God's about, that God is working, that God is moving, that we are his disciples, that we exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. That is why the church is important. And let me say this. I know that there's a few people in here that are seated, and let me say this right up front. That's okay. Don't feel any guilt or shame that you are seated. In fact, if every single person in this room were standing right now, we've missed it. If every single person in this room were standing right now, we'd be all about those that are here. If you're seated right now, let me just lean into you and say this. You can experience the same kind of love and grace and mercy that all of these individuals in this room have already experienced as well. We're no better than you, not at all. We've just experienced Jesus. We'd love for you to have that as well. So if you're seated, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we have right here, right now. To just be reminded of your love and your grace and your mercy. To be reminded of why the church is so important. That we might bring praise to you. That we might be rooted in you. But rooted not just so that we could sit back. Rooted so that we could go out into the world and reach the world for you. God, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.